Coming up on today's edition of the Preds Power here on the Chasing Most Podcast, we got the usual suspects. We've got uh, on the four checks, Brian Bastin, and uh, also Renegades of Puck. Speaking of that, that's coming up in just one second. And then also on the four check and Flames Nation's Jeff Middleton uh, to talk all things natural predators, but also special guest. Oh, yeah, Renegades of Puck on this very program. Uh, so it, this was uh, a lot of fun. Um, with a foursome here on the Preds Power, our local hour edition here on the weekend uh, for the Chase Thomas podcast. So these are always great, but this one was especially fun uh, with this roundtable discussion uh, with the guys. So UC Saros, potential trades, Wyatt Luke Evangelista still might be the most intriguing young uh, national predator coming up uh, with his play of late. Tommy Novak has been awesome talking about that. Uh, if Hines is going to be back on the bench uh, next year, um, all that and more coming up on this edition of Preds Power Hour. Make sure Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get them, however you're listening right now, you do one of two things or do both things. That's also cool. Uh, Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode here on this daily sports program here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Go Vols. Also, make sure you leave us a five-star rating and a review if you are an Apple Podcast or Spotify listener. It helps other people find the show and it helps this very very show Uh, get better each and every day. So please take a second, take care of that today. I would greatly appreciate it. It takes like five seconds. Do it right now before the show even starts. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, My nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello and welcome back. Preds Power Hour on a Friday afternoon, taping this at around actually noon here on March 17th. And none of us, are wearing green. All of us did not get the memo. We were all like St. Patrick's Day, St. Schmatrick's Day is what many are saying. Oh, Charlie down there is actually you got to, that doesn't count. We're not doing that. And we haven't introduced Charlie yet, but he's already taken over. He's got he's got green stuff all over the place. So maybe Charlie is doing better than uh, all of us. But the normal crew also here with our special guest who we'll introduce in uh, just one second. Brian Baston of On the Forecheck and Renegades of Puck is here as he is each and every week after but I can't even really say that because he was not here last week. Brian, how are you? I'm good. I left you guys alone for one week and it was actually a really good show. So I don't know if, if that tells you anything, Chase, but we'll we'll see how, how downloads go after this one. No, 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 no. It was good. We Jeff held it down, but uh, great to have you back. Uh, Jeff Middleton over there back home for vacation. Uh, enjoy it, Jeff with the spring break uh, because that is something that does not happen in adult life. There is no spring break. So enjoy it. Enjoy the youth. I feel like Billy Madison uh, right now. Enjoy. Stay Don't young. You yeah. Um, Jeff, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm not actually back home. I oh. am in Florida. I flew. Well, so I, I was on a bit of an odyssey. So I went from college to Nashville uh-huh. and then I went almost straight to the Nashville airport. And then flew down to Florida. So okay, what part of Florida yeah. are you in? Yeah, uh, we are in Pensacola Beach. Never been to Pensacola, I don't think. It, you're fine. <laughs> As a former Florida resident, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, and then you the Panama City is one you age out of. You do Panama City when you're in college, and then that's one you just you can't go to after. I was college. too old for Panama City when I was in college. Yeah. So, up a Willie, so it's always great. Brian, you want to introduce our special guest here? And yes. how we know this special guest and why it's such a big deal that he is joining the Preds Power Hour here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Of course. So I am I'm very fortunate to introduce the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Charlie Saunier of head of the Renegades of Puck. Uh, Charlie has been 
if you don't know Charlie, um, that's a shame. And um, there's nobody I don't think in this in this town that works harder than the, this man. Um, you know, taking this this whole venture independent. Um, you know, from being on the radio and and now doing this fully independently and funded, and it's really great. And uh, you know, Charlie's a guy that gave me a chance very early on when he didn't necessarily need to, but he did. And, uh, you know, since then I'm, I'm ride or die, whatever, whatever crazy idea he's got, I'm usually right there behind it. Uh, you know, as if I have a choice, but of course I'm always along for the ride, but, uh, yeah, Charlie, we're so happy to have you on. Uh, thank you so much, Brian. Uh, my first question is, uh, is it, uh, AM PM, uh, morning, noon, what day? Uh, just tell me real quick. Yeah, that's about right. Tell me what day is it actually? Is it afternoon yet? Mm, not, it is not afternoon on east coast it's afternoon east coast you're morning, just before where you are i think morning you're, afternoon well, all right well yeah you're, yeah <laughs> well then good morning and good afternoon fellas thank you so much for having me chase it's a real honor to be on your show big fan long time first time and i am very happy to be here listen guys i've been out here in the bunker i don't know if it's days weeks months it doesn't make a difference when it comes to the essence of no half step and i will not leave my post i will not leave this spot and I will deliver the goods no matter what it is. Having Jeff Middleton here, having Brian Baston here, it's incredible. The Renegades of Puck are simply an otherworldly independent organization that believes in getting the job done no matter what the effort is. Nobody is covering the Predators on a level that we are. Microcasting is not even the beginning of the explanation of it. We have a single episode for every single game, a preview, a breakdown, a recap. We have analysis. We have Brian Basson on the front lines. We have so many incredible, incredible ana analysts. And Chase, we're so happy to have you as one of the Renegades of Puck watching mm. the Eastern Front over there, keeping an eye on the Great Smoky Mountains for us. Man, I mm. cannot tell you how excited I am to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm trying to get the Ice Bears to become the AHL team. Like, that's what we need. Get <laughs> yeah. that continuity. I want the AHL team to be the Ice Bears. Listen, believe me, we can start uh, organizing that campaign. We can start working that together. I'm a big fan of what the Ice Bears are doing. They're a very, very popular squad, and there's no doubt they would help uh, the brand known as the AHL or any league that's up above where they currently are. The more professional yeah. hockey we have here in Middle Tennessee, the better, because that gets me closer to my one-day goal. And, Chase, you will be a big part of this, of the – one day winter classic that's going to take place the battle of I 40 at Neyland stadium between of course, the Nashville Purs and the Carolina hurricanes, the more professional hockey we have filling in every single mile of interstate between those two franchises just makes it a more palatable opportunity for the future. There will be nothing finer when it comes to winter classics than Neyland stadium, 100,000 <laughs> plus people in East Tennessee losing their minds over a game that they didn't even understand a decade ago. I cannot wait to be a part of it. I cannot wait to see it. We are going to speak it into, existence and if speaking it into existence doesn't work then i'll see you guys over there in east tennessee soon to broker that deal myself personally oh my god the man like that, will, the yeah. man will make you want to run through a brick wall every for real <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm ready for it i mean just that would be an absolute blast and i think that'd be a banger doing carolina and uh the preds at Neyland. i hadn't even considered that that was an option but that is that is something that would do really, really strong numbers. There's a lot of Preds bars here. Uh, my wife and I go to a Preds bar in downtown Knox uh, to watch Preds uh, throughout the, the winter. It's Friday night's the main one because Friday night's always good. I'm glad when the Preds are on Friday night, that's clutch for us because we're like, it's already date night anyway. We can go over there. So that's a good spot. But that would uh, that'd be a lot of fun. I I'm here for it. Jeff wouldn't like it as much because Jeff is confused and is a Vanderbilt fan. But um, the real one. I'm willing to concede that Neyland Stadium would be a great place for a hockey game. Thank you. I'm willing to concede that. 
I appreciate that. I'm not kind of blinded. You know what? If the Nashville Predators hadn't already had a stadium series in Nashville, Vanderbilt would not be a bad option. Listen, when you no. talk oh, about Charlie, it, Charlie, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go. No, no, no. You were doing so great. I want to give you an explanation for it, though. Okay. When you have the opportunity to be in the middle of the gem and the crown jewel city of the SEC footprint, which is Nashville, to have that campus right in the middle of Midtown Tennessee, to have that camera look looking downtown, looking down the hill, looking at everything Broadway, it could be magic. Now, the campus, the facilities themselves, are they what they need to be now? No, but they could be, and they've promised that they will be at some point in time. Anytime you can book a premier tier one level event in Nashville, Tennessee, you are doing something right. Neyland's the better option for a winter classic, but anything you can do in the middle of Nashville, Tennessee is going to be a gangbusters bonanza sales for the city and for anyone involved with it. There you go. Wow. This is awesome. I didn't know where we were going with this, but I didn't have Neyland winter classic as my opener here. Um, Brian, we have. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say Knoxville actually has seasons like defined seasons. We do. So that would be awesome to you know, probably be a little bit easier to manage a stadium series than than here in N Nashville, where it was below freezing like four <laughs> or five days ago, then 83 and then back to like 31 right now or something. So, yeah, just my sinuses are just just gone, decimated. I mean, I'm just ready for the summer. I'm ready for the warm weather. I'm I'm here for it. I, I'm ready for the, the full-time transition here. Um, 2022 first round pick, though, headed to Milwaukee. Brian, um, what's the latest here? And what do you make of this particular player? Yeah. Uh, moving on to Milwaukee. So it's exciting. Uh, got this, all this news as I was getting out of a meeting and had about 20 minutes between meetings and you know got out of got out of peace there. But yeah, uh, Joe Kim Kamel. I mean, he's a guy, number number one draft pick last year, uh, 17th overall, uh, has spent the last couple of years in Finland's Liga with JYP um, and has been has been great. And, and, you know, the thing that stands out about him and, you know, it's easy to make a comparison to a, another recent first round draft pick is he's got a great, just a fantastic shot. Um, I mean, it's real heavy. He can fire that thing like a laser beam. I got to see him for a little while there in rookie and development camp and blown away by just kind of you can watch a film, you can hear about it. But you see it in person, you're like, man, that kid can really rip it. But, you know, again, he's, he's I, I, I hate to, I hesitate to compare him to a guy like Ellie Tolvanen um, because, you know, having a he heavy shot isn't, doesn't define who you are as a player, as, as we learned and the Nashville Predators learned a little too late. Um, <laughs> but, no, I mean, he's done great last year. Last season, he led all, um, all, uh, under 19 skaters in, in Liga with, uh, with 15 points, 12 goals. Um, in 43 games, which is good considering he's 18 years old. Um, you know, he's doing great. He's a guy that can carry the puck in and out of the zone. So it's it's fantastic to see that. But he is, uh, as of about an hour ago, he is headed to Milwaukee. And they desperately need the help because the National Predators have, have raided, raided the cupboards and, and left them pretty much high and dry. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a ton of fun. Like, he's not only... Like Brian said, he's got a great shot. Um, one of the best we've seen in probably National Predators history. Um, but he also, I mean, he he skates really hard. Um, he's good in transition. I think this year at the World Juniors, he was top five or top seven in um, possession entries and exits. Um, so he's good with the puck. Um, the World Juniors were a little weird because he started off as the 13th forward. Um, but then he started playing extremely well. And so they moved him up to the first line. Uh, 
I guess that's the duality of duality of man between two games. But um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to be a ton of fun and he's going to help the admirals a lot. Just giving them a, uh, uh, just a scoring threat. Another one that, you know, he's, he's young, he does have things to work on. um, But there's, there is a ton to like there and he'll be, he'll be a high impact NHL forward soon, sooner rather than later. Do you agree, Charlie? I take you back to the Nashville Predators prospect development camp of this previous session. It would have been his first appearance here in the Nashville area. Paid particular attention, as I always do, to the top draft picks. What I saw was a player that no doubt has speed, has tools, and as everyone has already mentioned, is very young and very green. But here's the point that I wanted to bring up that I got to witness for myself. In the showcase on the final day of development camp, there were two particular shootout opportunities, both against Askarov. One was a victory. One was stopped, but for a 50-50 shot against Askarov, the phenom goaltender of the future, shows me already that at the age he is, he has the ability to put the puck in the net against virtually anyone in the world. He continues working hard. There is no doubt in my mind that he'll come up through the Milwaukee system and he'll be here with the Nashville Predators in the next couple of years. He was an impressive talent to see for his first ever development camp. Tomasino is a name, Evangelista, other names that I've seen in development camp that I would say I compare performance-wise. Not talent, not anything else, but their performance-wise over the four days in Nashville, I would say that Camel was right up there with any of these other prospects that were now starting to see at the NHL level. He was very impressive. Who are you most excited about of those three? If you had to forecast the next five years, who do you think is the most productive for the Preds of those three? I think Luke Evangelista. I am... Maybe I've bought too much into the cult of Luke immediately. It's only been a couple of games, but I'm going to tell you, boys, I've been around the NHL a long time. I've covered a lot of hockey. And when I see a prospect come in here with zero fear in his eyes and put a shoulder right into a legend and (laughs) knock him flat on his ass and then go to the bench and stare down the other legend on that team. Well, don't forget, those are the two legends that gave Nashville Predators fans their most disappointing moment in their entire sports lives. So to put one of them on their ass to chirp the second one and then also start chipping in offensively, the cult of Luke is here. Can he continue this progression? Can he continue being the evangelista that we've all come to know and love already in less than two weeks? I hope he can because I sure see a lot. That big body frame, the way he goes about it, the way he's not afraid to go into hard areas, to go to the dirty areas, the greasy areas. He's bringing the jam, boys, and it's only a couple of games into his career. Highly impressed with him. I sure hope five years from now I can come back on and you have the receipts on it and I can say, see, we were right about that because I do believe he has the potential and the talent to be a full-time NHL heavyweight. That's interesting. Jeff last week was saying uh, he's right there with you, Charlie. He is all in on the Luke Evangelista, most exciting uh, young prospect for the Preds, um, which is interesting. Brian, do you do you share that? Is it Evangelista number one or do you have either of the other two as more more likely to be productive over the next five years? I'm going to say yes on Evangelista because... Uh, and, you know, even, you know, discounting what we've seen just in the NHL, but this is a guy that I think he's only the second predator to have a hundred point season in the OHL since Ryan mm. Ellis, which still mm. thinking back, Ryan Ellis scoring a hundred points in, in juniors is just incredible to me. But, um, you know, he's, he's a guy that has a lot. I think I was looking at um, our development cap recap because I was trying to look to see if I had said anything else about it. And they'd said that, you know, for Luke Evangelista showed his skating ability and his mind from the game separates him from the rest of the group. If I was to call anyone at this season's development camp close to NHL ready, it would be Evangelista by a large margin. And I don't think that's changed too much. He he just looked like 
he was already ready. You know, like if you've got a kid that's real smart or something like that, and they're you just you can tell they're bored in class. It kind of felt like that. Like he just was on a different level. And, you know, I don't think that he is going to be a full time, you know, starting in Nashville, you know, full time and never going back to Milwaukee. And that's fine. That's all. That's good. But yeah, I mean, I think he's got the, the ceiling, I think, of these about the three, these three to to really be that like first line, you know, w- guy that's going to, you know, score a ton for you and make a lot of plays happen. I, I, I love Philip Tomasino. I think that he may see more time on the roster just because he's he's very e- easy to utilize and he he's pretty he's pretty uh, versatile in, in what he does. So I think he'll probably in five years time, Tomasino will probably have the most NHL time. But uh, Evangelista, as far as his ceiling goes, you know, it's. It, it's he's got a he's got a good one and and Kamel you, you never know I, I has you know I don't want to say too much about about what I think he'll do in the NHL now but he's got all the tools so it's just a matter of they can if they can coach it in him and get him ready. Is anyone blocked? Is there anyone any of the young young I don't know what to call it, young guns coming up that you're like we're talking about here that you're worried about just opportunity because of where the team is roster wise? Is there anyone blocked that you're nervous about? blocked um hmm. i can't really think of anyone no, I, mean, I mean they traded so many people that just it yeah. feels like nobody's really blocked anymore no, i think yeah. the only one the only I'm one that i can sure. <laughs> i've got an the answer for that one okay the only go ahead, one I think of would be zach larue and it wouldn't be mm-hmm. because there are roster blocks it would be because he's blocking himself from getting nhl time because he's typically he's, sparing a young child in the front yeah, row is a way yeah. to slow your development. But yeah. let's not forget, fellas, Kevin Fiala on Kids Day on That's Kids right. Day right. at home at a noon start for the Milwaukee Admirals takes his gloves off and hangs double birds in front of approximately <laughs> 5000 school children in the middle of his development time. And it didn't prevent him from not only making it to the NHL, but then being traded to Minnesota and now having a very large contract, being one of the top players out on the West Coast that you never, ever hear about. But he's been potential. But let's not forget, guys have these opportunities to overcome and grow. A first-round hmm. draft pick is always going to have more leeway to screw up than a seventh-round draft pick or in some other leagues, a lower-down draft pick. Or if you're an undrafted free agent and you spear a child in the front row while you're in the minors, no, you're Done. You'll never see yeah. the NHL level again. Your first round draft pick, the team has risked a lot on you. And they're going to be willing to spend a little bit of extra money to get you either the sports counseling, the anger management, or the coaching that you need to understand that the people that pay to be there. And I had to learn this myself early on in my career. I went through a similar incident, so I understand completely. You can come back from it, but they have to understand that a first round draft pick is always going to get that more leeway. Now, back to the main point of your question, who is blocked? And here Mm -hmm. is the most interesting conundrum moving forward. The theories of UC Soros getting traded before the deadline and why were there so many theories about him being traded? Because, let's face it, we all know who's coming down the pipeline. Is it a year from now? Is it two years from now? Nobody knows. But Igor Shosturkin and other goaltenders across the NHL landscape have changed the development and thought process on goaltenders. They don't have to have five years experience in the AHL and be 25 before getting called up to the NHL level anymore. Igor Shosturkin has already won a Vezina. Is he an outlier at such a young age to be performing the level he is? Well, there's other examples I could give, but in this situation, we all know that a decision is going to have to be made. Are you going to be keeping a top 10 draft pick that is supposed to have the top 
draft metrics of a goaltender since Carey Price, who we all know is an MVP caliber player, or are you going to continue going with your Vezina finalist and very capable caliber goaltender, UC Soros, for the future? At some point, that's the block. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be at the draft. It might not be for a year. But that's the block that still exists for this Nashville Predators franchise. Everything else has pretty much worked itself out of the way, including the majority of the money. Yeah. I'm just going to say I, I totally agree. Like, I think that the Preds um, – you know, their goaltending situation, like we saw with Connor Ingram, like we thought, we all thought that Connor Ingram would be, um, would be the guy this year. And they ended up letting him go for free, um, which would not be the first time uh, <laughs> that they let someone go for free. Um, but uh, I think, I think it's one, it's, it's, it's different just because, um, you know, I don't think Lankinen is in there long. I mean, they're only signing him to one year deals. They're mm-hmm. not, you know, um, if they had him for, um, you know, two or three, I'd be a little bit concerned, but, um, we don't have to worry about that. And then Saros, I, I mean, he, he'll be 30 by the time his contract's up. So I have a feeling that, you know, mm-hmm. if they'll find a place for Askarov, Shesterkin's weird just because he didn't get AHL time, but he got KHL time. Mm-hmm. He played in the KHL for like five years <laughs> and he's like 27 now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the, you're definitely right that it's, you know, you don't, they've proven that you don't need all this kind of AHL time, but Askarov I think is different just because of the way he plays. Like we all saw it. We all saw that he needed it when we watched the world juniors and he was mm-hmm. tossing a stick left and right. And he was, you know, he was flailing around everywhere. He was letting in soft goals. Like he clearly needed this time. Um, but I guess the real question is how much more does he need? Right. Like, I think it's, I think he needs more time. Like I think he needs, you know, one or two more years. But after that, I think you can really consider, you know, when, when are you going to bring him up? See, I, 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 I'm, I struggle with kind of the mentality of people were having about trading UC Saros and, there, and there's two reasons. And I've talked about it before, but first is, are we doing this, Brian? Is this, is this <laughs> we are doing it. We're going to do it really let's, fast. Let's first, it. first of all, like, it, it, there's one thing besides, you know, there's one thing to say, I'm going to, we're going to trade Philip Forsberg because we want to improve our draft stock. You want to get a chance at, at a guy like Connor Bedard. That's one thing because you get chances with forwards and there's a lot of them. Um, you don't get that with goaltenders very often. And, and especially, you know, you can say like you can trade UC Saros, his value is never higher, which is true, but you got the Nashville Predators got very, very fortunate to have the, the goaltender, pipeline that they did to, to be able to get a guy like UC Saros who was willing to, you know, wait his turn and learn from, from the current guy, you know, from, from Pecorine at the time. Um, and you don't never know, you know, you never know which goaltender you're going to get if you go and get one, that, especially if one you're not familiar with or you didn't develop. I mean, you look at Jonathan Quick and his turnaround since he went to Vegas, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of these, you never know with goaltenders. It's, it's voodoo. And so, you know, it's one of those where you can replace a forward, you can replace a, a defenseman, but there's no chance, there's no there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to find another guy like UC Saros because there aren't many guys like UC Saros. Um, and the second thing, and I just talked about that, is we saw how this development plan should go already. Nashville fans are very familiar with how this development plan should go. UC Saros was there. He he took his time. He he came to Nashville and learned as the backup. And then the transition was like nothing, you know, like he'd been doing it his whole life. And I don't see when you got a guy like UC Saros at what five million a year right now, it's 
you know, and it's not like you've got a lot of cap pressure right now. You're not trying to make room so you can get a big high, high money free agent. So give him some time because they actually have for once uh, that luxury of having time because why rush him when, you know, another year could, could be great, you know, and, and then don't, again, give him two more years in the end of getting some backup time in the NHL. You still don't know if he's going to be somebody who can replace UC Soros and a Nashville team with bad goaltending is, is not good for anybody. <laughs> so I think the fear for like maybe some Pred fans is like, I mean, this is the team they beat this week, the Anaheim ducks where the ducks have had, a great like just with gibson who's just been fighting for his life for a decade now where he they brought like when you just built your team around ryan miller and uh john gibson where it's like we might it's gonna take us winning 1-0 more often than not but like hey that's our identity that's what we're gonna try and do you don't want to be bad and then have elite goaltending like i think it's more frustrating um from that standpoint so i think with sorrows i wonder if a lot of preds fans are just nervous with this full-on teardown that you just have this awesome goalie and then everything else is a learning experience and everything else is rough that you're like this poor guy like this is just we just tear it all down like let's not just leave Soros being the last man standing here I, I wonder if that's part of it that's well that's where I'm at like realistically Brian's right like you you have you have an elite like go, there's there are very few goaltenders like UC Soros in the NHL mm. that's just how it is that's just the facts of the matter but you know where where's what's the point like if if you're going to be bad or you're Mm -hmm. going to reset or retool or whatever they want to call it like and you have these young guys coming in the defense is already awful like (laughs) what is what what is the good in keeping uc sorrows you know i'm not saying you had to trade him this year that's you know explore the option but you didn't have to trade him. there's still time but in reality what is the what is the benefit of, of keeping UC Soros here, not only for your team, because it doesn't help your draft position when you have an elite goalie, but also for UC, like what is, what is being on this team get him? Like, I know all the sentimental stuff, like he was here for a long time and that's totally fine. You know, totally understand it. This is this, these are people and these, you know, they, they feel things too, but like, if, I mean, I feel like we would all want to see UC Soros win a cup if he had the chance to, and I don't want to keep him here because I do. he's an elite goalie <laughs> and he's an elite goalie. And there's, you know, there's no way that you can recreate him. Like, I don't think, I don't think that's an excuse to not move him later down the line. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because he's been, he's been here all this time. And it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things that go into it, but he's a movable piece he will get you a haul of draft picks and prospects and he would get the chance to go play somewhere that would benefit him. You know, Jonathan quick in Vegas. Like I can't imagine what UC Saros would be doing in behind a, behind a very solid defense. Like he would be incredible. Um, and you know, it's, it is a little terrifying that, like let's for example the New Jersey Devils right last year they have they have these young guys that you know they they play well Jack Hughes gets hurt it's it's but their analytics for the most part were pretty solid up front and in the back end they go off this off season they make moves for John Marino they make moves for you know they add to their D they Jack Hughes comes back has a stellar year Jesper Bratt does his thing and all these guys start producing really well. And then they bring in Vitek Vanacek, who was a backup. 
and is now killing it with the Devils. And now they're the second best team in the league. Like, as much as I think UC Saros is a commodity that not many teams can get, like, one, you don't need elite goaltending to win a Stanley Cup. We saw that with Darcy Kemper in the Avalanche. But it, it helps, but you don't need it. And that's why I'm like, you don't need to have UC Saros. If, if you have UC Saros, that's great, but he's not something that is necessary to get where you want to be. And that is where I'm at with that. Mm. Charlie, you're the deciding vote here. You've heard both both sides here with Brian and Jeff. Which way do you ultimately fall? Robust conversation. I love every second of it. I appreciate the passion on both of your ends. And here's how we're going to break this tie right here. The draft is in Nashville this year. And this is just wild fantasy speculation at this point because you asked me to throw something crazy out there. Mm-hmm. UC Soros moved at the draft. The Predators use some of the draft capital. They move all the way up. They make the big splash. At Bridgestone Arena, they draft number one overall. That's all. Wow. What do you think it costs to move up to number one? What do we? Everything. We yeah. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Every- because because every team will be competing for that same exact opportunity. Everybody thinks they can do it, and believe me, every GM has the ego to think I've got the package that everybody wants. No, you don't. But what would it cost? It would cost a lot. It would cost something like a franchise goaltender, something like a franchise winger leading scorer, a hell of a lot of first round draft picks and probably a whole bunch of uh, other prospects that are closer. But for a team like the Nashville Predators that has acquired so much capital in recent weeks, not saying they're going to, I'm not even saying they're uh, thinking about it, but if they wanted to, if they wanted to go full in on the rebuild, speed up the process just a little bit, use some of the draft capital, use some of the prospects and use some of the pieces you currently have that aren't a part of the big picture in the future, move up, make the splash at Bridgestone Arena. I remember a time in 2003 when there were 15,000 people chanting, let's go Predators, when they had the number six overall pick and it was Ryan Suter and nobody had ever seen action like that at the draft where the crowd had just lost It's mine. Imagine the spectacle of taking over the entirety of the sports world by moving up at your home draft and getting what is said to be the next can't-miss pick since Connor McDavid. No idea if the Predators would do it, but damn it, shows like this are the best time to speculate about it, and it sure is fun to theorize and have these wild fantasies about sports. Or you could just trade Tanner Janot. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard because I have a hard time. The last time a number one pick named Connor, uh, you know, went and went to a team, I, I bet you that guy would probably love to have some goaltending because Nashville has made a, a, a cup run off of elite goaltending, and that's a whole lot closer than Connor McDavid's ever been to a Stanley Cup. So, I mean, you can have a guy. You can got you can have a guy that's going to score you. You know, scores fifty goals a year, but. You know, if you're giving up a ton every game, it matters a little bit less. You know, a guy like Bedard can maybe be able to steal you a handful of games, but UC Soros can steal you an entire season. So, I agree, but the problem is that I think the 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 Nashville Predators way was not sustainable. So, mm. as much as I love Pecorino putting up a nine thirty something safe percentage or whatever he had in that playoffs, I think I'd take the Avalanche with Darcy Kemper any day. I also. I mean, this is, we don't really know what Barry Trotz is going to do, right? Like you have no concept really of what his plan is here. So this summer in the draft and everything else, we'll start to paint a clearer picture of where he's going to go. And if he's like, because a lot of people are expecting like a long teardown, right? The assumption is to move as much as he did. It's a long teardown. But what if he's like, we got a bunch back. I got back more than I thought I was going to get at the Mm -hmm. deadline. 
I can actually jumpstart this and get back into pseudo playoff contention sooner rather than later. And maybe that is a mandate with the Haslam's like who are coming in. Like we don't really know what if their appetite is not to have Bridgestone be empty and be uh, just not a fun venue for the next three to five years. Like what if that there's a mandate where it's like you can break it down now. We understand we weren't going anywhere this year and you could get a lot of pieces, but like you need to flip this as quickly as possible. And we're not doing the full Chicago Blackhawks type deal where it looks like they're going to, they're going to be in the gutter for, for a long time. Um, I don't know. That's, that's where I'm at. Is that, is that fair, Charlie? Well, the way I see it is with the amount of prospects, the amount of draft picks, the amount of capital, the predators picked up at this year's trade deadline. I believe you're correct. It was more of a haul than Barry Trotz and David Poyle thought they were going to get in return Mm. for the pieces. They moved not a single analyst on this earth. And if they say they thought this, they are lying to you that Tanner, Juneau would bring back so many pieces in return that GMs, for the first time in quite some time, would be so willing to give up whatever was in the cupboard to get what they wanted. That's something we haven't seen as a trend with the trade deadline in recent years. It also happened faster and earlier than usual. The trade deadline is becoming, uh, unfortunately, less irrelevant uh, every year at this point. Bigger draft, bigger uh, trades now are starting to be made around draft time uh, because that's when you start to really make your moves. But as far as the rebuild, you have brought in so many assets, so much capital, and The youth is developing quicker than anybody had expected. They're playing above expectation at this point. If those players make a nice long run in Milwaukee, as they're expected to do, that gives them two more months of significant experience. Then perhaps you can shorten the rebuild window from five years to two to three years. A two to three year rebuild, any franchise is going to be willing to accept as long as two to three years from now, you have the signs. Right now, there's a lot of very positive signs. You hear the people at the rink. It feels different. It looks different. Look, the team still lost to the Chicago Blackhawks on home ice last night. It was still a fifth place versus eighth place team in the Central Division, and the Preds fell on home ice and, frankly, could barely generate any offense. But the people going in and out of the building suddenly are talking about, I don't know, something's different. Now I get to see Evangelista play. Now I get to see these young guys play. There's a different feel. Underperforming veterans were sagging the fan base down to a point that I had never seen before, and now overperforming youth is bringing people Hmm. back to the trough just as quickly as they ran out the door, throwing their hands up to the sky, saying, hockey, Jesus, why? What does day-to-day mean anyway? I like that. Um, Speaking of some young guys, though, Brian, the rise of Tommy Novak. Man, it's so it's it's been so fun to watch mm-hmm. him. He's a guy that has has you know he's has some experience. He has some time, but his just watching him play, it's he's just it's just so much confidence in his game, and he's been you know one of the sole sources of of Nashville's offense over the last week and a half, two weeks or so. I mean, not that this is that's when he came to Nashville, but just he's been given this chance now to show out, and I think part of the reason why I like how they did this this quote-unquote rebuild is because you know how many opportunities do you get to have a i don't know like a 30 20 30 game basically preseason where Mm -hmm. the results really don't matter uh, but you can put them in real playing time against teams that are looking for playoff position you know it's it's something that's extremely valuable and why you know i have no problem with them cycling guys in and out of the roster at this point from milwaukee to get them some time, you know, like I, I, before, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I didn't know what Erasmus Asplund was and I'm still not entirely sure, but it's still, it's good to be able to watch him and see and see, Hey, this is where these guys, you know, stand Igor Afanasiev, for example, mm-hmm. one of my favorite prospects yeah. out there, but you know, it's good to get a good look at these guys in the NHL and be like, 
he's not he's not quite there yet. Now, granted, small sample size and stuff, but you're getting a good look at the, this. And so, you know, Tommy Novak has exceeded my expectations. You know, it really, really has. I mean, he's, you know, I think I I did a little bit of review on him after last season. I think remember being kind of surprised at the time too. But he's just a guy that is got great hockey intelligence. He is he drives to the net constantly, which is fantastic. He's really found a good home, you know, taking that center, you know, between the circles kind of bumper slot up there above the goal. Mm-hmm. He's been really good at at you know creating space for himself and becoming you know a real legit legitimate option, you know, for for the other players to to pass to because he's he's got that. And you know, yes. He's, you know, he, looking at the advanced metrics, he's great at everything except for defense, but that takes time. But I mean, he's he's looking better. I think right now, looking at the advanced metrics for goals but replacement, he's fourth on the team, uh, only behind Yossi, Forsberg, and Duchesne. I mean, he's ahead of guys. Right behind him is Cody Glass, Nino Niederreiter, Yuso Parsonen. Like, this is a guy that has come in and, yeah, you see these, you know, handful of games that that have he's looked great and he's all over the place in the score sheet, but. He's doing all the other things right the rest of the time, too. And, you know, it's granted, you know, the talent isn't as where it was in any other, you know, most years previously. But if you're up there, you know, competing and and you're grading out alongside guys like Duchesne and Forsberg and Yossi, I mean, that's a very good sign. You know, you can you can work on defense. You know, that can that can be fine. And you don't always have to have a well-rounded forward. Let let him let him be who he is. That's fine, too. Um, You know, and so. It's been a fantastic to watch. He's been such an exciting player to watch. The man is, I don't know how, but he he never seems like he's, in every interview, he's the calmest person I've ever seen. Like, it's just, there's it's very flat emotion. Just, you know, yep, yep, you know, he'll answer your questions really well. But it's just, that's just, you know, ice in his veins. And, you know, and he does it after games too. And so I, I've been really, really happy with with how he's come up. Have you seen the pictures of him on Google Images? Like every picture of Tommy Novak is this man just going like this. <laughs> like there is no evidence that Tommy Novak has ever smiled. There's no evidence that that's actually ever happened. Yeah, I'd say I'd say alongside him and and uh, John Hines as well. So mm. yeah. Well, John Hines has reason to not smile. <laughs> Tommy Novak has good reason to smile. He is becoming a very important player for this Nashville Prairie team. And fellas, last year, if we can just take it back mm. when Tommy Novak made his debut last year, I felt I was in the arena. I was watching him play at the beginning of the season. I felt like he had all the intangibles to be here and to be a part of the team, but maybe a backlog of veterans in front of him, maybe a lack of ice time and a better opportunity to go back to Milwaukee and really work on his game. I called it the curious case of Tommy Novak because he was doing just fine. And then one day he just quietly went away and nobody ever really brought up Tommy Novak again until suddenly he gets the call up this season. And they're like, Hey, there's Tommy Novak. He's back on the Nashville prayers. Since coming back, he's been a revelation. I thought he had all the tools last year, but the seasoning, the time wasn't there. The timing is there now. Tommy Novak now, 13 goals. Renegades, six goals behind the team lead. He's barely even been here. So 13 goals in the season. He's got 16 assists. He's got 29 points. He'll be the third Nashville printer that's at least currently on the roster to reach 30 points when he gets his next point. And what he is doing as far as rookie numbers and metrics is highly impressive and puts him on a fairly short list with very few prospects that have come up for this Nashville Prayers team. So the curious case of Tommy Novak's been answered. He is a big-time player, and he is a deadpan interview all the way across the board. I think he read that uh, that notebook from Bull Durham a little too closely. Can't get too high, can't get too low, and we're just taking it one shift at a time. Let's get pucks in deep, and let's go out there and play hard, boys. 
Oh my gosh. It's so funny. You said that because before, like, I think before last season, we, the, a lot of the media, we joked about, you know, playing the John Hines drinking game, you know, when he says certain things and yes. uh, last night, last night he brought back the usual, the, his, one of his favorites, the not too high, not too low. And so you saying that again hit and I was like, ah, yep. <laughs> the amount of times fellas that I brought home a recorder and plugged it into that little laptop and was like, <laughs> man, I got some banger sound from the locker room tonight. And I had 27 different versions of, you know, we can't get too high. We can't take too low. We're just taking it one shift at a time out there. We got to get pucks in deep. We got to play hard. You know, some nights you're not putting in the effort that you like. And uh, some nights we have too many passengers out there. And, you know, tonight was one of those nights where we had too many passengers, not enough drivers. We got to get back to what we do best. We got to get back to basics. We got to start working harder. Remember, can't get too high. Can't get too low. I, I, I can smell the, 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 the aroma of the locker I room. Have you you been, transported me, Charlie. I have been to hundreds, if not <laughs> thousands, of Barry Trotz pressers in my time covering this Nashville Predators team. Uh, John Hines uh, says it uh, with a lot more word salad. Uh, but listen, I say I make a joke like that about his word salad, but I actually appreciate the articulation he puts behind his answers uh, for my critiques, my criticism of John Hines, his ability to communicate and to explain his decisions are top notch. Uh, as far as coaching goes, rarely do you get an answer. Believe me, I covered Peter Laviolette for five seasons. <laughs> I'll take reading John Hines four paragraph long answer to understand the mentality of the move, the decision making, the process, what it means moving forward for a player, for a prospect. Then I will the Peter, uh, the, the Peter Laviolette glare where he just looks at you and goes, next question yeah. and moves right on. So but uh, yeah, yeah, that's where we are, fellas. You can't get too high and you can't get too low. That's what it's all about, Brian. Yep. All right, we're going to take one quick break for a message from our sponsor. We'll be right back. A lot to wrap up here uh, with this uh, special guest on today's edition of Preds Power back in five seconds. Love those sponsors. All right, we're back here on Preds Power Hour. And we wrap up here. This wasn't on the list, but I wanted to wrap up here because I think this would be fun. We mentioned John Hines as we went to break. <laughs> a round table, quick discussion here. John Hines is back on the bench next year. What would you put the percentage for Hines uh, with the Preds this time next year? We'll start with you, Jeff. Um, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's very high. If I was to do a percentage, I'd probably be probably around 15, 20%. Like, and even that might be high. Um, but I think it all comes down to, you know, every GM has their guy. And John Hines is not Barry Trotz's guy. He's David Poyle's guy. And I know David Poyle is going to be helping out with things. Um, and Barry Trotz is also not going to come out and say, we're firing John at the end of the season. Um, well, Barry's got to decide but, if he's going to be player, coach GM. Like he's got he's yeah. to wait that one out and see how he's feeling this summer, if he's going to manage both roles. Give him a little time. I'm sure there there would be some part of the fan base that would love that <laughs> a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I I don't know who who's out there that would be, you know, in Trotz's radar. I'm sure um, Carl Taylor is. Um, I'm sure Ricard Gromberg is probably probably not anymore in the mix. Not anymore. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. Uh, 
been keeping up with him? Did he did something happen? Uh, he did, yeah, just some. It hasn't been bad going things. well. Not bad, bad, but just not been going well. He's oh. my. If you guys don't know, he's my, been my pet pick for 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 Nashville's coach since hmm. I started covering them. He's uh he was coach a head coach of Sweden's national team. Is that right, Sweden? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and uh, I've always loved the way he coaches and all that stuff. But anyways, yeah, I just don't know if that's going to happen anymore. <laughs> okay, we'll run with that. Don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, there's I don't know a ton of the other coaching options out there. Um, but you know, there's going to be a guy that Barry Trotz likes, and it's if it's John Hines, I would be shocked. Um, especially given the way that the fans react to John Hines consistently. So yeah, I'd probably sit around 15, 20% that he's back on the, that he's back on the bench next season. Brian, what about you? I'm going to say 50% and I'm going to say that right there in the middle. Well, and I'm saying that because the points that Jeff makes are entirely, entirely valid. Um, You know, and it's, you don't know if you're trying to do a fresh start, you know, you don't know what you, you may want to start completely fresh. Um, I think that on the other hand, Heinz is a guy that the players really, really like. And, um, you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, I was going to say in Nashville's history, but that's, that's not really a good way to compare, but I'm trying to think of recent like NHL head coaches that have kind of walked in to the dumpster already being on fire and having Bruce to, Boudreaux. what's that Bruce Boudreaux that yeah 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 but <laughs> that's a good point but I mean he you know he came in and he had to finish off bef- a season before COVID happens and then there's the COVID season and then you know the one season where like there hasn't been something happening whether you know it's been like you know the teardown or injuries and things like that I mean let's not forget like Nashville's never had an offensive season like they did last year you know they never had a player get over you know over 33 goals before and they had two go over 40 and i think there's some credit due for that um there's some credit due for uc saros and his his continued success and that part of me does kind of recognize that and you know i'm not saying that this outweighs performance and you know what i how i feel personally but you know there's something to be said for the the fact that this guy has had a lot you know a lot and a little to work with simultaneously when it comes to to this job and you know it's you know, whoever you're going to come out there. I mean, let's let's be honest. If you're going to say who's going to be the next coach, just Google current NHL coaches and you've got your answer somewhere within that list. And so, you know, who's going to be that change and who's going to be a guy that you're going to really want, the fans will really enjoy, that's going to want to walk into this situation and know that he's not going to be able to compete for two years, you know? So, I mean, I say 50% just from maybe even the business standpoint, because again, next year, Let's be honest. Next year's kind of a wash. Like it doesn't. It's it's development. It's it's getting these guys, you know, mm-hmm. ready. And mm-hmm. it, you don't want to put give them a new coach quite yet, maybe. But I don't know. I say fifty percent just because of the business side of things. Tag me in, B. There you go. Yeah. You're in. Who's going to be the one making the hire? Supposedly, with support from David Poyle, of course. But who's going to be the one making the hire? Play along with me, fellas. Barry Trotz, right? Yeah. Now, for the five players who will recognize John Hines when they return for development camp, and for the <laughs> players that were a Vezina finalist, a Norris finalist, and two 40-goal scorers that still barely squeaked into wild card two and got whacked, whacked in the playoffs. I don't want to hear about the goaltending situation. UC Saros maybe makes it a gentleman sweep in five. They got whacked in the most historic offensive season in franchise history. They could not win a single playoff series, even... 
Barry Trotz's teams against the Detroit Red Wings could accomplish winning one game in a playoff series. So I am moving on under the assumption that it is a 0% chance that this coach will return. Leaving no more room for that discussion on my end, I will move forward and tell you this. In 1984, Barry Trotz went to the University of Manitoba as an assistant coach. In 85, he became the GM and head coach of the Dolphin Kings. That was the team he finished his playing career with. In 87, he became the head coach of the University of Manitoba. In 92, he became the head coach of the Baltimore Skipjacks. That team, of course, relocated to Portland and became the Pirates. In 94, he won the Calder Cup championship, and he also one outstanding coach of the AHL. We all know in 1998, he was named the first head coach in Preds history at 36 years old. He would coach here for 15 years, 1196 games before being named a Jack Adams finalist and the second GM in Predators history. Now, I tell you that backstory to give you this backstory, fellas, and please listen to the case for Carl right here. <laughs> at 51 years of age, after his major junior career ended in 1991, he ended up playing five years with the new University of New Brunswick. He then completed his master's degree in 96 in sports management at that same university, then returned as the assistant coach in 97 and 98, won the CIAU championship in May of 2000, went to Red Deer and became their coach for three seasons in 05, went to the ECHL for the first time with the Reading Royals. He was the director of hockey operations in three seasons. The team went 112, 82, and 22, and were all playoff teams after not being in the playoffs before that. In 08, the Ontario Reign head coach job became open, and he moved there. The LA Kings ECHL affiliate in 2009, they were the Pacific Division champions. In 2011, Carl Taylor accepted the assistant coaching job with the Chicago Wolves, one of the most premier AHL franchise that has existed in the last 25 years. In 2014, he became the assistant coach for Portland and then was recruited by the Texas Stars of the AHL in 2015, where he would serve for four years with that team before becoming the coach of the Milwaukee Admirals in 2019-20. 2019-20, he was the league's most valuable coach, much like Barry Trotz was back in 1994. He also coached the Predators on an emergency basis in call-up and holds a record of 1-0 against last year's Stanley Cup champion, That's right. the Colorado Avalanche. Now, I give you his backstory just to show you the similarities and comparisons between the first head coach of the Nashville Predators and the next head coach of the Nashville Predators. Now, why would I assume with this resume he should be put behind the bench? Well, it's simple. In 2019-2020, with the Admirals as their head coach, 41-14-8, and eight, a 7-14 winning percentage, first in the Central Division playoffs, if not for that little world-ending event called COVID, <laughs> the Milwaukee Admirals may have barnstormed right on through to a championship in 2020-21. They did not play. But in 21-22, they returned to action. And with a year of not having his players, Carl Taylor still coached them to 39-28-9. Third in the Central and, most importantly, Admirals won their first playoff series in over a decade against the Manitoba Moose before falling to Chicago. Now, this year, as of when I wrote these notes in the case for Carl, they were 32-18-5. Players, Arriving, prepared, and exceeding expectations. The cult of Luke is here. Evangelista, 41 points in Milwaukee, fully prepared in his first games here with the National Predators. Tommy Novak, 26 points in the AHL, 29 points in the NHL. Yuso Parson, kind of forgotten about recently, but nine points in 10 games in Milwaukee, 23 points in the NHL. First line 
center minutes. Philip Tomasino goes back after missing several breakaways last year. Questionable. Comes back renewed. 32 points in 38 games as of this writing and a full-time player back in the NHL. Askarov's the most unique and dynamic personality in the entire AHL. He's already a star and his coach already knows how to handle when his netminder decides to bench press the net or close things down for the night. How many other coaches would be fully equipped and prepared to handle that? Leonard, Gross, after the sayoff, all progressing, all getting opportunities at the NHL. They're expected to make a long run this spring. The only reason this move hasn't been made already is because Carl Taylor has unfinished business in the AHL. Much like the man that's going to hire him, he's going to go on and win the Calder Cup in the AHL. He's going to win the coach of the year. And I will close the case for Carl with the following facts. Neither of those men ever played in the NHL, but both have college coaching experience. Both have scouting and operations background. Both have AHL head coaching experience. Both have one outstanding coach of the year in the AHL. And now one has the power to give the other the opportunity. David Poyle once gave Trotz that chance. Now Trotz can give Taylor the same opportunity. Boys, there ain't a thing guaranteed in the NHL, and nobody says Carl Taylor is a sure success that he'll coach a year 15 or he'll be successful on any level. But with the prospects that he has put at this level, with the amount of play going on in Milwaukee, the significant amount of building that is happening, Carl Taylor has earned and deserves his first opportunity to be a head coach in the NHL. He's already ahead of the curve. He knows the system. He knows the players. And he holds a record behind the Nashville bench of 1-0. That's my case for Carl. There you go. We'll leave it there. Charlie, Brian, Jeff, thank you so much for the time. And uh, Jeff, Brian, we'll see you next week. Charlie, you're welcome back anytime. And uh, Hold on, Chase. We got one thing real quick before we go. I know we're all in a hurry. Next week, big event. Yes. And I, I, think, I feel like I'm depriving all of you by starting to talk about this and not letting Charlie do it, especially after that. But Home Base Freakout 2, next week, Tailgate Brewery, all ages, no cover. It is going to be fantastic. I will, God willing, actually be there this year. Um, I'm still like, working I will on also it. Be yes. there. Yeah. So yes. make sure you're coming out. There's going to be a ton of awesome guests. Uh, somehow, uh, I was on that list of, of announcements of special guests that Charlie put out. Just you know why, yesterday. Brian? Here like it is, that. right here. And I'll wrap it up quick, boys, because I know everybody's got things to do except me, who's going to keep generating content all day long right here from the bunker. The reason Brian Bass is a special guest is because Brian Bass is one of the best in the game today. The reason Jeff Middleton is a guest of mine is because he's one of the best. He's brash, he's young, and damn it, I love having him as a part of my show and having him as a resource. He's not afraid to challenge he's not afraid to argue but he knows what he's talking about chase if i could get you there i'll put you on the main stage i'll put you right on music row across from every program director in this city and i will make them open their eyes to what you can do as a big market prospect the reason you are my guests and not the mvps the nhl veterans that i announced last year we made that statement already we don't need to make the statement again about how big our rolodex is the statement we're making now is we've got a venue We've got a party, and we are welcoming everyone from our incredible hockey community. Whether you're in Middle Tennessee, whether you are far and wide, you come here. You celebrate with us. You have a drink with us. You enjoy it. This community is powerful. It is positive, and we are building something that is going to last for generations. The pillar of strength that comes from this hockey community will be based on the foundation of the Renegades of Puck build. The next 25 years of hockey success in this market will be because of the events we're putting on, the people we're bringing together, and you the renegades out there that support this thing, independent hockey coverage, independent sports coverage, and independent people. 
We're passionate, we're fiery, and we believe in the essence of no half step. And please accept this as my personal invitation to each and every one of you out there. Next Friday night, Tailgate Brewery Music Row. It's time to freak them out. It's time for the home base freak out too. There you go. Damn right. I love it. Brian, Charlie, Jeff, thank you as always. And I'll talk to you all very soon. See ya. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.